1: Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, April 27th, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back good friend of the show, good friend of Ben Jarofsky, good journalist from the city of Chicago, Mick Dumkey. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. If you like columns from Ben Jarofsky, they're all over at chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y.
2: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Childish Chicago Thursday, and here's why my dear guest McDumkey probably knows what I'm going to get at with why I'm calling this child a Chicago Thursday. Well, first of all, today is Thursday. Uh, But this uh, relates to a quote I saw bright and early when I woke up uh, this morning and I was reading the Chicago Tribune. Shout out to uh, Hank Sanders, the author of this article. So uh, the purpose of the article was to interview uh, Alderman who had uh, supported Paul Vallis, in the mayoral race and get their view of what the world was go- was like now, that their worst fears uh, had come to pass and that Brandon Johnson was victorious. And how would they st- stay true to themselves? <laughs> was that, I had a laugh, Mick. When I stayed true to themselves, they were cutting deals. That's why they supported Vallis. <laughs> they're going to be cutting deals with Brandon Johnson. I don't really right. think it's going to be a
0: problem about right, staying... Are you saying that's not staying true to themselves by I'm cutting saying, deals? I don't know that those are two different things.
2: I I that is exactly I am saying is true to yourself, very true. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be a problem, is what I'm saying. You know, cutting deals, you're just cutting deal with a different guy. Anyway, my favorite quote, Barnon in the story. I shared it with Mick already, I sent it to him, David Moore. Good friend of the show has been on from time to time, Alderman of the 17th Ward. Uh, And uh, as Mick recalls, one day at the hideout, he showed up. Good natured uh, to uh, represent Hillary Clinton in a debate against Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who was representing Bernie Sanders. I will never forget that day. That's because Del Marie, our dear friend, uh, couldn't do it. And she would have been a hell of a lot of a better debate, in my humble opinion, had Del Marie stepped in. I think Mick would agree on that one. Uh, anyway, uh, so here's David Moore. Here's the lead. And a few of the aldermen who backed Vallis represent wards that Johnson won including receiving more than 78% of the vote in Anthony Beale's ninth ward and more than 80% of the vote in David Moore's 17th ward. David Moore, a black man, uh, 17th ward, a predominantly black ward on the south side of Chicago. Here's the quote. Sometimes your children believe that not going to school. I'm sorry, I can't do this with a straight face. David, this quote. Sometimes your children believe that not going to school is best for them. Moore explained in a metaphor for his constituents. I don't know, Alderman, don't use metaphors. Anyway, back to the metaphor.
0: You have to do what is don't use metaphors comparing (laughs) constituents to children. Uh, I think we could be a little more specific, Ben. Never seems like a good idea. Yeah, I I I.
2: actually, I I don't know if they should be allowed to use metaphors anyway, uh, unless they're trained in it. Are you an English major, David Moore? I think you're an accounting major. Accounting majors should not be allowed to use metaphors, only English majors. Uh, You have to do what is best for your residents, and that's what I did in supporting Paul Ballas, not what was best for David Moore. Sometimes your children believe that not going to school is best for them. Mick has heard me, my uh, dear friend, uh, former colleague at The Reporter uh, and uh, Reader, uh, has heard me many, many, many times uh, railing against the decisions of the voters of Chicago. I believe, Mick, at various times, I've called them idiotic, bird-brained, uh, dumb, stupid, uh, misguided, uh, whatever. You know.
0: I, I think you're leaving a couple four-letter ones out, but yeah, keep going.
2: But I never <laughs> referred to them as children. I'm Big Daddy. I know what's best for you. <laughs> Come on, Mick. That's a stretch even for me. David Moore treating anyone who votes uh, for Brandon Johnson as a poor child who needs instruction (laughs) because they can't get through the world without it. I don't know, Mick. I I feel that that would fall under the category of an unfortunate uh, metaphor. Am I being too hard?
0: No, I, I agree with you. Don't compare constituents to children. I don't think that's a, a really a great idea. I mean, we all love kids, but that's not what he's getting at. He's basically saying they're not capable of making the best decisions for themselves all the time. And so he, as their elected representative, had to step forward and make a better decision for them. Um, that's a little different from you scolding voters repeatedly during the uh, daily and Rom years for their, uh, in your view, misguided decisions to uh, collectively reelect those mayors. Uh, yes. You're right. I don't think you ever called them children. Uh, you did uh, maybe insinuate that they were rather foolish, uh, but uh, and made the wrong call. Well, you know
2: but, what? The, the, yeah. The weird thing is that the reverse was true so many times i did battle with daily supporters in the 90s and the o's and then rom supporters going into uh into the 21st century what they would essentially call me the child Ben, you don't understand how the world works in the grown-up world decisions have to be made we just can't keep funding these schools forever we must close them we must close the mental health uh facilities get real ben you know, this is not socialism class back in college. That's how they would. So they they would try to kind of treat me like I was a child, Mick. Uh, so I've never. I, I, yeah, the, the notion, particularly since Mick, think about this. 80 percent of the 17th Ward voted for Harold Washington. 20 percent of followed David Moore's lead and voted for Paul Vallis. OK, um, they have the capability of ousting David Moore.
0: All right, won't. you just said that they 80% voted for Harold Washington versus Paul Vallis. So, wow. um, my brain so out. Ben, uh, come on, uh, my, my young Ben, let's get it together <laughs> here. Get your, get your mind back in school. Uh, no, what you're saying is that 80% of the, of the war decided that did not want David Moore to speak for them, uh, in this, in this instance and, uh, voted, despite his endorsement of Paul Vallis, voted for uh, Brandon Johnson. And this was repeated to various degrees in wards all over the south and west side, right? Um, in, in predominantly black wards, where not all older people, but a number of them uh, voted, or excuse me, endorsed Paul Vallis, and then their wards voted against them. And I think I know for a fact, because I talked to several of them at the last City Council meeting. And uh, there's a lot of them trying to figure out what this new world they find themselves in is really all about and how they're going to adjust and, and navigate it. Um, they, they made a bet, Ben, they thought that Dallas uh, was going to win. And they wanted to get in on the winning side early. And they lost, they, they made a they made a bad, they made a bad bet. They made a losing bet in that instance, it went against their constituents.
2: All right. I'm now going to ask you the what I call the Donald Bird question name for one of my favorite uh, uh, trumpet players and uh, musicians of the 70s. Oh, his career went way before the 70s, but I discovered him in the 70s. He had a song called Where Are We Going? You're probably familiar with the Marvin Gaye version of that song. So where are we going, McDumkey, uh, as a city in the aftermath, in your humble opinion, in the aftermath of Brandon Johnson? Brandon Johnson, not Harold Washington, Brandon Johnson's uh, recent victory. And I guess like six, I'm doing this up the top of my head, uh, lefty type aldermen were victorious uh, in the city council races. So where, in your
0: general sense, where are we going as a city right now? I think you mean six more uh, left leaning aldermen were elected in the city council. Well, clearly the progressives feel they're on... Uh, you know, they're ascending at this point in time, that they're gaining power. They're in the middle of the negotiations about what the new city council will look like, how it will be organized, if all their people do uh, the previously unthinkable Ben and uh, organize themselves and pick their own leaders. um, How is that gonna look? And I can tell you that uh, from everything I've heard, that, uh, yeah, the progressives, especially progressives who have been in for a term or two, um, their voices are uh, are magnified. They're amplified right now. Uh, the election of Brandon Johnson, their ally, has empowered people in the city council. Um, and meanwhile, you know, uh, the mayor-elect is uh, slowly kind of starting to show people or, or tell people that he's starting to show them Uh, what he's going to be like as a governing official. And so you and I were talking before we went on the air about his announcement of his new transition team. And it's definitely got a lot of people you might expect, um, you know, left-leaning activists, union leaders, and so forth. But also included in the mix are a couple of uh, former veteran police leaders. There are um, some people from the financial sector, um, business leaders, and so forth. So, uh, you know, even his chief of staff, uh, the former leader of the Office of Emergency Management Communications, um, is a a longtime City Hall insider. So I think he's trying to signal that he is a progressive. These are people who are around him. A lot of people close to him are going to be continue to be officially in his inner circle. Uh, But he's also saying that, look, I am going to come out here as a governing official. And I've got some people who know their way around City Hall too. Um, so to answer your question, what where are we headed, it definitely looks like we are headed in a more progressive direction. Um, but I also see attempts from Brandon Johnson to signal to people very nervous about that, that uh, the sky's is not going to fall, that the city is not going to slide into the lake, that he has got people who um, are going to be able to help him govern as well. And those things shouldn't shouldn't be thought of as contradictory, by the way. But I'm just saying with a lot of people, they are Um, the other quote you sent me before the show was from Anthony Beal, who uh, did say to me and to others on election night at Paul Vallis's would be party. It turned out to be a morning and not a party. uh, But, you know, he basically said that he thought that uh, the city was hosed and that we're in deep doo doo um because Brandon Johnson had won so there are people out there thinking like that and I think uh you know Brandon Johnson is trying to signal that they don't need to think like that and most importantly that voters and residents don't need to think like that Mm
2: -hmm. well um while we're on the the theme of metaphors uh, I have the Anthony Beale quote in front of me ninth ward alderman from far southeast side of Chicago, Roseland area uh and uh and this is definitely a mixed metaphor. Uh, quote, quote, this is Anthony Beale on election night talking to a reporter from the Tribune. Quote, this is going to be Mayor Lightfoot 2.0, which is going to be twice as bad as what you just saw, said Beale, uh, venting to the Tribune shortly after Valles conceded in a ballroom filled with teary eyed supporters. Quote, the tax base is about to leave. The police are about to leave, so I'm very concerned about the direction that this city is headed. Uh, a lot is packed into there, Mick. Let's just start with more, Mayor Lori Lightfoot 2.0. I, I just do not understand what the heck he's getting at. Uh, I mean, M- Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as a lefty, I can tell you was no lefty. She was no progressive. She pretty much broke every promise she made at the that famous hideout gathering uh, that you and I... Uh, uh, where we uh, uh, interviewed her back in 2019, I want to say, um, early 2019. I think it was after the first round. So I have no idea what he's talking about uh, in terms of, And and brain Johnson's completely different personality than Lori Lightfoot. So I can't imagine him openly antagonizing members of the city council like Lori Lightfoot did. So it won't be 2.0 on that front. It just sounds as though, Anthony Beale has bought into this notion that Fox put out that somehow or other Lori Lightfoot represented the radical left. So, Mick, I I don't understand what he's getting at with calling Brandon Johnson uh, Lori Lightfoot 2.0. I think it's both unfair to Lori Lightfoot and the radical left. Your thoughts?
0: Well, I think it's unfair for you to ask me to uh, analyze and interpret what Anthony Beale's trying to say, uh, but I don't think he is making an ideological assessment of Brandon Johnson. I think that uh, his perspective, uh, this is based on talking to him a number of times recently, I think his perspective is just like that Chicago needs an experienced, confident, leader who is going to reassure people and that he thinks uh brandon johnson may be even worse on that front than lori lightfoot someone who doesn't have the experience doesn't have the 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 word people like to use gravitas to be mayor and that his policies are going to chase uh taxpayers out of town and make us less safe uh i think there are you know a number of holes in that argument but um as far as I can tell, that is what he's trying to say, not that uh, Brandon Johnson and Lori Lightfoot are necessarily on the same place on the ideological spectrum. You know, I'll I'll just put it out there. I think that at City Hall, um, actually, you know, ideology hasn't actually been very important for a long time. Right. I mean, everyone we're talking about. They all purport to be Democrats, uh, but. You know what actually happens when a mayor gets into office and starts making decisions? Well, around here, a lot of the decisions look like things that uh, would have come out of the Republican playbook at least circa maybe twenty years ago, right? with uh, um, I'm talking about various kinds of privatization and charter schools and uh, so forth and so on. Um, but what you know has always ruled the day at city hall is is cutting deals. You know, make people wanting to get their piece of the pie, making sure they're at the table, they're in on the action. Uh, again, let's mix our metaphors, whichever one you want, Ben. Um, it's That's the way of doing business rather than having a really ideological discussion. That that certainly is has been secondary. And that may be changing now. I think, you know, with um, Brandon Johnson's supporters really feeling like he uh, clearly described himself as a progressive. He clearly outlined, articulated progressive policies that he wants to implement as mayor. And then he won the election over a person who was very different on most of those, or at least many of those issues. And so I, you know, again, I think that the uh, the progressives, both voters and people in city council, people uh, who are allied with Brandon Johnson really feel like, look, we won the election. Yes, the margin was Relatively narrow, but we want a solid election, and uh, the voters had a clear choice, and this is what they chose. So we're going yeah. with it.
2: Yeah, if I if I had to uh, get into the ideology of Chicago mayors, uh, post Harold Washington, uh, I would say that uh, yes, you're absolutely correct. When everybody positions themselves as Democrats, I, I believe Raylo uh, Raymond Ray Lopez in the 15th Ward still calls himself a Democrat. I think Nick Bizzarro may still call himself a Democrat up on the, on the Northwest side, even though he openly admits he voted for Trump. Uh, but if I had to, uh, sort of a, explain their ideology, it would be a heavy emphasis on privatization. Uh, you and I have written many articles about the privatization, uh, schemes of mayor Daly and, uh, mayor, Rahm, uh, particularly when it comes to schools by, uh, closing, uh, public schools. And, uh, unionized public schools and then the opening charters, non-union charters. Uh, and then in uh, re- regards to criminal justice and the police, uh, I think if there is an ideology, it's uh, one of look the other way and let the police do whatever they want to do and not uh, have a confrontation with police. I I believe it was uh, the great Pete Cunningham uh, who, who said this to me, opened my app in this one. Uh, Mick, back in the 90s, and the always, I know I told you this, that uh, Mayor Daly, for all his power, was afraid to confront the Chicago Police Department, and he stayed away from any kind of uh, head-to-head battle with them. So I would guess that's the ideology uh, of the uh, the leaders that uh, uh, for the city. And Anthony Beale voted along with them on almost. I can't think of any privatization scheme uh, that was proposed by Mayor Daly or Mayor Rahm um, that he voted against. Oh, and also a significant part of that, as you and I have written many times, is heavily investing uh, our economic development dollars in the downtown area and the area just around the downtown area, allowing the TIF program uh, to just continue that fundamental. Process of putting money where money already exists, and I know Anthony Beal voted for pretty much every. I can't recall him ever voting against the TIF deal. So if I, that's how I would define the ideological drift of Chicago mayors Rom and Daley, and Lori Lightfoot. She kind of kept it going, Mick. I mean, I can't think of any significant break that she made from that sort of ideological bent of Daly and Rom. Can you think of any?
0: Well, I do think uh, there's one point that we should make in favor that that speaks well of Mayor Lightfoot, which is that um, she really has talked a lot and done a number of ribbon cuttings about uh, around investment in in areas that are in need of it the south and west side the invest southwest program and i know a lot of people there've been report there's been reporting uh, you know sort of raising questions about whether there's anything to this beyond pr um, there's a lot of doubt expressed about it i actually think it's a little bit premature to say whether the program has made a big impact just because it takes a long time to get development moving, especially when we're coming out of pandemic. So I actually am willing to to give that initiative a little bit more time uh to see, you know, how it how it develops and how it unfolds, Ben. And I think Brandon Johnson has has basically said uh he would like to keep some version of that program going and, and maybe even uh you know make it bigger, do it better. Um so I do think she's at least address the narrative of downtown first and I think she's tried to change that. Uh, we would probably have to do a more sophisticated analysis to actually look at the flow of money uh, to see how much of it has gone to other places but I think that uh, you know rhetorically um, she has used her bully pulpit to talk about the need for investment on on the south and west sides which I think is really important that doesn't that doesn't get the job done. I'm not saying that. But I do think that is an important baby step. Otherwise, no, I don't. I think Lori made a lot of promises uh, and and cast herself as a progressive four years ago when she was running, and then one by one uh, decided that it was either no longer in her interest or um, not something she was willing to spend political capital on to change. And I think the elected school board uh, fight is a classic example of that. She said she was in favor of an elected school board and then ended up resisting it every step um, and then really getting outflanked in Springfield and you know the legislation getting passed over her objections uh, eventually. And, and we are going to have an elected school board we'll start transitioning next year, I believe, to it. So that's one example, um, I think, where she has really tried to continue what her predecessors uh, had in place and you know more broadly Ben I mean I want to get your thoughts on this but I started to really think about this a lot I actually think a lot of a lot of the voting done in this election a lot of the voting patterns and the discussions like I know again progressives are claiming big victories and and deservedly so based on the results but I I do believe that People are really tired of what I'll call, you know, kind of like corporate non-democratic governance. I mean, think about the school board as a as an example. You know, not only do people want to choose their own leaders, but they're tired of having a lot of people from like the investor class and the business, very wealthy people and and people who are seen as elitists handpicked by the mayor talking about school policy. And that's true with like most of the city's boards and commissions. They just seem out of reach of a lot of people living their lives in the neighborhoods. And I think people are clamoring for democracy. They're they're definitely clamoring. Maybe that's that that means progressivism at this point in time, but I think on a very basic level, people just want, want more of a say in what's going on. And they're they're really tired of insider politics and its its form over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, which was like uh, the old vestiges of the old democratic machine tied in with kind of this rich investor class making decisions about everything yeah
2: i think uh it's a combination of a whole different el- a lot of different elements uh you're absolutely right and you identified many of them uh in your riff and uh i guess you just put it under the umbrella democracy a small d democracy obviously. right uh and uh yeah, we see it uh, the movement for uh, an elected school board, for police councils, uh, for we'll get into this more, to, more independence for uh, the aldermen in the Chicago City Council, uh, the constant clarion call, which is always ignored, for more transparency and how government operates. Uh, and um, Anthony Beale, uh, uh, tag team with Raylo, uh, for the last four years, completely reversing his entire political career before that, uh, in calling uh, for the mayor to be more transparent in how she did business in the city council, we I gave him credit for that many times uh, on the show in the Dave Glowatt segment. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, I think that's it. I think that way that plays out in politics on the local level, Mick is uh, lefties. And so, for instance, Paul Vallis, his entire political career—oh my God—his entire political career was the antithesis of everything we just laid out. He was a total insider for for the Daily years. He was Daily's handpicked guy uh, to run the public schools. As such, his job was to shut up and look the other way when Daily took diverted money from the schools for the TIFs and spent it wherever he wanted. When he was in the Revenue Department, he helped the to invent the TIF program as we uh, you, use it in the city of Chicago. He was an autocrat. Like if he felt compelled, if he wanted to, he could take a book off a, a reading list on a South side school. He was the opposite, exact opposite of everything you laid out in the way he ran government. He got 48% of the vote, Mick, 48% of the vote. David Moore said that people who don't vote for him are like, clueless children (laughs) I added the clueless are children who need to be led by their parental alder leaders so the way that democracy movement generally gets expressed in my humble opinion I think you're absolutely correct it's been a movement for 20 years at least uh, is voting for people on the left I've not seen that movement emerge I mean, just in terms of Chicago and ideological direction on the right. I it's yes, Anthony Beale said he wanted more independence for the city council under mayor Lori Lightfoot, but he endorsed an autocrat to be the mayor. I guarantee you, Mick, Paul Vallis would not have allowed the city council as much free reign as Anthony Beale and Ray Lowe wanted under uh Lori Lightfoot. So I don't know how deep it is in the Chicago psyche to have democracy is what I'm saying. I think a lot of people in Chicago like autocracy so long as the autocrats are making decisions that they think the voters think are in. their the voters best interest. Your thoughts?
0: Well, certainly uh, the history of elections in Chicago would would support your argument, Ben. I mean, uh, there haven't been many people like what we're Describing uh, who've been elected. I mean, here and there, certain wards. And a lot of times, when you look more closely, um, you know, independent minded candidates or progressive candidates, they often get elected in a ward election because of, uh, in a city council election, because of very local stuff, because of dissatisfaction with how the current alder person is doing things more so than because of their stance on some city citywide legislative proposal, okay? Um, I mean, that's part of it, is that, that's part of what you're talking about, is even a lot of voters who would agree with you and I and say, I want more democracy, I want more openness, I want to have more of a voice, at the end of the day, they're like, my ward looks like hell, the trees <laughs> haven't been trimmed, you know, the, the, they, they need to clean this this section of the of the ward up, I'm tired of it. Or more recently, like, you know, there started to be more crime than there used to be. And we need to do something about this. So people, they usually don't vote on, on these conceptual, in these conceptual ways, I think they really vote about nuts and bolts issues most of the time. And so, this gets to another discussion about about what the job of alder people are you know versus the mayor how they work with the mayor how they're independent of the mayor because you know until people s- expect their alder people to be legislators they're going to get someone leading a service office you know um as their alder person and and that's not bad i think we all want good services we're all residents here but if they don't put the legislative part of the job on an equal footing or even make that say that that's more important then we're going to continue to get i think the system that we have which is that uh people who are are long-time insiders or who are playing the game of of going along you know uh with kind of the insider politics we've described uh, they're going to say, well, look, I I have a seat at the table. I get a services because I work with, you know, the powerful person in charge, uh, the, the mayor in, in recent history. So uh, that's the way it's worked now. So how is this going to play out under Brandon Johnson? I think that's that's a question we keep asking each other. Um, are all their people going to play as a different version of the same game with the mayor? Who's just more progressive than Lori Lightfoot or Rahm Emanuel or or Rich Daly? Um, or are we going to really start having discussions about like the kind of government we have and how that's tied to our public safety and the quality of our schools? I hope it's the latter, but I, I'm realistic about the fact that you know Brandon Johnson has a lot on his plate just just stepping into that office and filling positions with good people and you know making sure we don't have a, an ugly, violent summer and and some of the immediate needs, the big picture stuff will probably wait. But I'm I'm hopeful that we'll have those discussions as well um, going forward.
2: Mm. Uh, all right, uh, so let's talk council reorganization. And uh, I'm mindful of the clock because uh, when Mick Dumke and I start talking about the city council, three hours can pass.
0: Yeah, we've already we have <laughs> I've already filibustered quite a bit of our time. So yeah. <laughs> We haven't Um, even gotten important matters like basketball yet. So, yeah, let's let's, uh, talk council.
2: The Jimmy Butler segment of this show has not been forgotten. Uh, And um, so uh, in the week before uh, the uh, runoff election, I think it was about a week before, maybe it was two weeks, I've lost track of time. The city council on its own uh, reorganized itself, something uh, that uh, I don't believe it had ever done at least in my uh, lifetime here in the city of Chicago, I've lived there since 81 uh, to reorganize itself before uh, a mayoral election. Uh, generally speaking, as Mick has pointed out many times, this we have a strange system uh, in Chicago where the executive branch, the mayor determines who the ch- the chairs of the legislative branch uh, are. And so there goes the whole notion of checks and balances as the founding fathers saw it. Uh, and, uh, So they reorganized themselves. Uh, They added more committees in order to take care. (laughs) You gotta give them credit, Mick. They added more committees uh, to win over more votes. Uh, They kept Scotty Waggis back in uh, as chair of the finance committee, uh, even though he uh, was neutral uh, in the mayor's race uh, and has since come out uh, sort of critical of Brandon Johnson. Uh, And uh, that's a very important, position, finance chair, maybe you could argue it's the, the most important chair of all the council chairs. So Mick, let's get to it. Do you think that reorganization will hold uh, under Brandon Johnson or do you think Brandon Johnson will say, ah, uh-uh, let's let's shift some of this stuff around. Let's cut the number of committees. Sorry, Scott, you're out as finance chair. I'm going to put Pat Dowell in. Uh, she supported me in the election and she she can handle this just as well as you can. Let's not pretend she can't. Your thoughts?
0: I think that um, some kind of reorganization, something that other people will will uh, describe as an independent structure will, will emerge, but I don't think it'll be in exactly the same format as what was presented and voted on at that March 30th meeting. Um, As many have noted, you know, that was under the current term of the city council and as with every legislative body, at the end of each term, pending legislation and resolutions are flushed down the toilet and they have to set up a whole new system for stuff that hasn't been passed or for like the rules of, of the body those things have to be passed again. So the the bottom line, Ben, is they're gonna to have to have a vote on this again after the inauguration in a couple of weeks. And I know just from talking to people the last uh last few days alone that things are very much in flux. Um fundamentally, I think it it sounds like I, I've talked to all their people on different places on the spectrum, um, people who are aligned with different candidates in the mayor's race from the beginning of the mayor's race not just in the runoff part of it and everyone really believes that you know hands have been shaken and something has been put on paper a vote has been taken in public that there will be something like this in place that the that the city council will you know step up again and say look this is our plan it's not just the mayor's plan that we're rubber stamping here. And that seems to be important to people across the spectrum. But I think that who's going to be exactly the, the chair of which committee, how many committees there will be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that stuff is going to be in flux. I mean, Chicago is a budget crisis to add nine committees on top of the ones we already have and to fully fund them at a minimum will require millions more dollars a few more million and while that's alone isn't going to bust the already busted budget uh of the city you know it's it's something that doesn't look good for the first move of a supposedly progressive council and a supposedly progressive mayor to sign off on something that just seems to add uh you know unnecessary functions and positions to the government just everyone knows as a result of horse training, it just doesn't look good. So I, I expect the number of committees will drop and there'll be a little bit of realignment with, with who had some of them. Um, but I also think, you know, Brandon Johnson, I don't think starts off necessarily with a clear council majority. So I do think there's gonna be some, a little bit of back and forth on this.
2: All right, so uh, by the way, a shameless moment of self-promotion. Uh, this will be topic of conversation uh, our next first Tuesday, which is this coming Tuesday at the Promontory in Hyde Park. Jeanette Taylor uh, and a, a mixed alder woman, Maria Haddon will be our guests. Uh, really looking forward to that conversation. Uh, both of yeah. them, uh, they were split, Mick, I don't know if you know this, Jeanette yeah, yeah. against the council reorganization. Maria Haddon voted for it. Uh, and neither of them are uh, afraid to speak their minds. So it'll
0: be a very interesting conversation. Uh, so Absolutely. Yeah. They, and they they had different uh, explanations, uh, obviously for how they voted, but, but kind of came from a similar place, but ended up at different, different votes. So I think that'll be a great, it'll be a great discussion.
2: Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so let's get back uh, to the Scott back question. And uh, Mick and I have known Scott since he got elected Uh, back in 2007 as a rookie alderman uh and he was very much at what the old like the old school reform independent type that it has kind of like sort of i don't know mick i don't know if it exists anymore you know things have changed so much chicago uh getting back to the ideological conversation we had like the the new I don't know if there's anybody who's a reformer without being a like a Bernie Sanders type progressive, if you will. Uh, But uh, he had the guts uh, to vote against the parking meter deals. Only one of five aldermen who did. So not only did he have the guts to vote against it, but he came up with reasons. Uh, he did his own independent analysis, which probably, in my humble opinion, I don't know if Mike agrees with me, was more thorough than the trash that Daily People came up with, which was really no analysis whatsoever, and it just said "shut up and vote for the deal." Uh, and so, uh, and during the Rom years, he was also uh, a voice for uh, like alternative budgeting or more openness, more transparency. Uh, and then he he cut his deal with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, swapped. Uh, his endorsement for her uh, for uh, the position of chair of the finance committee, replacing Ed Burke. Uh, and uh, now that Lori's out, it seems like that would be the logical place where Brandon Johnson could make uh, insist that we have a new finance chair. And Scott fought back already. He gave an interview with uh, Fran Spielman, uh, Sun Times, where he said he, he warned, uh, Brandon Johnson, not to go after him. I'm like, wow, that's throwing it down, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> uh, so just your thoughts on the sort of the evolution of Scott Wagus back as a public figure and uh, uh, will his will he be supported by his fellow uh, councilman uh, come, what is it, May, with further in the
0: reorganization? I don't know. I think it's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, I think uh, one thing that you left out of your synopsis of of Scott's career is that because of his independence, because of his insistence on openness and transparency and scrutinizing deals that were pushed really hard by Daly and Rom. A lot of his colleagues really didn't like Scott. They thought that he had a, uh, you know, a holier-than-thou approach to a lot of their work. Um, I mean, listen, this doesn't really matter much when we're talking politics, but I've always found Scott to be a very nice person. So, uh, you know, one thing I could say about Scott is he's, from my perspective, he's very likable. But he wasn't well he wasn't loved in the city council um, during the, those independence years. So how many friends has he made in the last four years while serving as finance committee chair? And how many, uh, you know, kind of lasting friendships, partnerships, alliances has he made while helping to lead this reorganization process? I I don't know for sure. I mean, it is very interesting that some of the people Speaking out in favor of the reorganization. I mean, it was a strange alliance of of alder people. I mean, Scott, like you said, the the kind of old school reform minded independent, and then you had Marty Quinn talking about how important it was to go independent. It's like Marty, you know, <laughs> you, you you were on the Madigan plantation as long as it existed, yeah. and you know, um, <laughs> were elected with with help of of Mike Madigan. Uh, to every election until this one this year. Um, but now he's talking about independence. You also had uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa um, speaking very passionately in favor of the reorganization and how it was going to empower uh, Latina members of the city council, among others, and how it was a historic moment and uh, they were all, everyone was going to band together. Um, so and I expect Carlos to play a very important role, whatever the makeup of committee chair, you know, the committee memberships and and chairs are. I think that Carlos will be a very important player in the new city council. He's been on Team Brandon uh, from the beginning, and um, you know is one of his most certainly one of the most articulate and, and, and impassioned supporters during this whole campaign season. So I. I just expect, and, and at this point in time, Ben, you and I have known Carlos uh, since before he came into office, and he's entering his third term with this newer, younger city council. He is one of the veterans now, so um, I think I think he's a really important figure to watch in all this. Um, so I just, I don't know what that's going to mean for the Finance Committee chairmanship. I don't know if there are enough, are there ultimately enough votes to displace Scott? or are there enough votes to keep him in power? How many people wanna keep him in power as part of the condition for whatever they're gonna get out of this deal? How many people are no longer think that he's independent or progressive enough, even though he was one of the founders of the Progressive Caucus? I think it's gonna be really interesting.
2: Yeah, by the, and again, uh, what we mean, this could be a whole discussion sometime. Uh, what we mean by progressive is just, constantly changing so it's almost a meaningless term it is a meaningless term it is a meaningless it is a meaningless term it was i
0: mean 10 years ago we were using the term liberal uh in the same way and now liberal is a dirty word that's associated with like old old school uh uh you know neo neoliberalism i guess um Mm -hmm. so yeah the terms changed you and i talked about how reform means nothing remember i think Daley's last re-election, he was talking about reform. Rom was talking about reform. That was the theme of his first inaugural address. It's like, yeah. So some of these terms are just thrown around, and and I think progressive is one of them. Yeah, and so
2: so the their when when the old progressives caucus in the Chicago City Council that emerged. I think it was when Rahm uh, was elected mayor. Uh, again, those are people who were talking about issues of transparency and independence from the mayor and openness in government. Less than they were talking about ideological shifts. They weren't talking about like how we where we spend the money. Although it, there was some talk about that. At least just be open about where we spend the money. Um, and uh, uh, and they, I don't recall any talk about police changes so you're right uh make who knows what any of this means uh in and particularly in the current framework and you know the horse trading while you were t- uh, going on that riff i was thinking oh my god the horse trading Older people are going to have to determine whether they should stand by scott even if it means they won't get their committee you follow what i'm saying absolutely
0: like, yeah. <laughs> yeah wait Do I want my own committee? Well, that's at the, that's the heart of it. Yeah. Do they they have enough votes to get what they want anyway, or displace if, if they're not going to increase the committees, if there's only the current 19, uh, who's going to get those, you know? I mean, one of the ways, like you said, they passed this reorganization was by adding nine new committees (laughs) so that everybody gets a trophy, you know? So what's going to happen, uh, if they don't have nine new trophies to hand out? It's a good question. One quick other thing to add in fairness to Scott is I just talked to him recently and he um, is arguing that uh, while he was very closely aligned with Mayor Lightfoot the last four years and you know basically carried out her agenda as finance committee chair, that's really what the chairs for most of the committees do, Ben, is they carry out the agenda uh, or that's how it's been, what the job has been to carry out the agenda of the sitting mayor Um, he also says that he has changed things about the way the committee does business Um, the budget is reduced the staffing is reduced he's no longer running a patronage operation out of the finance committee and on the subject of transparency that he has worked really hard to get uh, other members of the city council copies of documents so that they can review them before they come up for a vote in the finance committee, you and I were talking about this uh, when when Scott first stepped forward. You talking about this a minute ago. Was really the parking meter deal about the one of the many horrible things about that deal was that other people didn't even see it. They didn't even get a copy of it till like you know right before they were supposed to vote on it the first time. It was outrageous. So Scott says. He has tried to change some of that to make sure people have the documents so that they can be filled in on what they're actually voting on. That seems like a pretty low bar, uh, but he says that it's it's a massive culture change, and I don't think he's wrong about that last part.
2: Well, Anthony Beale may uh, vigorously disagree with you on that last point, Mick, uh, and we'll move on from there. <laughs> Anthony Beale spent four years chafing uh, under what the yoke of YS back slash Lightfoot. We had so many bits that we played with Dave Glowitz would come on of Anthony Beal and Raylo denouncing Lightfoot, denouncing the procedure in the city council, and Scott was part of that coalition that they were denouncing. Now, whether they were fair or not is a whole other issue, but it's definitely open for debate. Uh, and by the way, uh, what, I can't, in past city councils, this is, this I Know I should get off of this, Mick, but it's really hard for me not to. And I think you're kind of in the same school to watch aldermen like Anthony Beale and Raylo suddenly worry about a small d democracy in the city council after they were willing participants in the, the autocracy of Daly and Ram is really kind of hard to take sometimes. But uh, Dave Glowitz is always chiding me, Ben, people change, you got to allow them to have changed. And I'm like, it's just really hard, you know what I mean? To, you know what i'm saying do well it. what do
0: you, what what do you want out of a political figure ben do you want them to uh do and say the right thing or do you want them to have the right motivations for that or I, both i mean i think i think we would we would like to like the people who do things that we respect and we would like to think that they uh are doing them for you know, thoughtful reasons, but that's not always the case, especially in politics, right? Well,
2: no, what I uh, generally say uh, when Dave and I have these discussions after we play uh, a bit of Anthony Beale uh, sounding like Leon Dupre uh, on the floor of the city council is, you know, better late than never is what I always like to say. Uh, but just like I believe in transparency and openness uh, when it comes to the city uh revealing how it's operating. I, I really think it's important for observers, reporters, pundits, podcasters, whatever we are, just to let people know exactly the context uh, for everything that's going on. So they just don't believe what is uh, uh, put in their face at that given moment. All right, before we get to that all-important Jimmy Butler uh, conversation that you and I really want to have, uh, <laughs> Kim Fox. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox announced the other day that uh, she would not be running for re-election. Uh, and uh, your thoughts on the legacy of Kim Fox?
0: Well, in whose eyes? Um, you know, I mean, I think it's undeniable that she has tried to change the conversation. Um, you know, tried to change the image of the State's Attorney's Office. Uh, the approach that that office has taken to um, the the notion of wrongful like like the wrongful conviction cases that's what i'm trying to say but i was going to say even beyond that just even the notion of justice and what the purpose of the office is i think has changed dramatically you hear from a lot of her critics and i was i was thinking about this again last night reading the coverage of her announcement that she wouldn't run again a lot of people are like, you know, the office is supposed to be an advocate for victims of crime. And I certainly think victims of crime need advocates, and I, uh, you know, feel very sympathetic, empathetic towards them. But I'm not sure actually that that is what the job of the state's attorney's office is. States attorney's office, I think, is supposed to pursue justice on behalf of the public. And that can mean different things at different times. Sometimes that means you know, trying to put someone away who's a danger to the public. Other times, I think it is righting a wrong, and I think that Kim Fox really talked about the second half of that equation um, a lot, and and not just talked about it, but you know, her office took steps in that direction, especially you know, with the wrongful convictions that uh, Chicago and Cook County had become notorious for um, under Anita Alvarez and her predecessors. So I think that speaks very well in Kim Fox's favor. Um, her overall legacy is also going to be one that she's seen as a divisive and controversial figure. That's not always fair to Kim, but that's the truth, right? That uh she has been used as sort of resonant the resident boogeyman on uh on discussions about crime around here. And a lot of it i think is uh you know dog whistle dog whistle racial politics but a lot of the people criticizing her are black just like kim is so it's it's just like she's been seen i think for most of the last 7 years as someone who is uh you know Is a ready target for other politicians who want to make some sort of statement about crime and she's she's the person they can point to and criticize even though in a lot of cases if you actually understand how this complicated system works uh most of the things they're criticizing for are not even under her power to address like you know whether judges decide to release someone uh before they go on trial that is the state's attorney can, can make an argument in, you know, one way or another, but it's a judge who makes a decision about whether to release someone on bond or bail. Uh, but she's been criticized for that repeatedly. That's just one example. So I think it's a complicated legacy. Um, and, uh, you know, whoever comes in there next, I hope that they are, uh, able to do both parts of the job, which is, uh, you know impress upon the public the need for justice and pursuing justice um, but also right now let's face it we need some figures uh, who can reassure the public that they have a plan for public safety as well and um, whether that's fair or not i think the state's attorney's office does need to be able to reassure people that they're on the job and uh, for reasons that are uh, you know maybe fair in some instances not fair in other instances Uh, Kim had a hard time doing that for most of her tenure. What do you think? What's your takeaway?
2: Well, yeah, I, uh, just a couple points. Uh, yeah, there may be, uh, uh, a black leader here or there who uh, denounces Kim Fox, but she was supported in 2020 overwhelmingly by voters in the black wards. Now, uh, David Moore said they may have been children uh, and that uh, uh, they didn't eat their vegetables as he instructed. I actually think David Moore may have supported her as well. Uh, so she was overwhelmingly supported by uh, black people. I feel the way. I, I wrote down exactly what you said. It's a great quote. I'm, I think I'm going to use it. Whether I give you credit or not, I don't know. Uh, but she has been used as a, I can't even read my writing, Nick, as a resident boogeyman. I'm going to switch it to boogeywoman. And she has been used is the key part of that. She has been used. Uh, and I feel um, that it's really unfair to her. It's politics. uh politics. It's law and order politics. Uh, and uh, I believe that what she proposed to do, which she ran in 2016 against Aniva Alvarez, which she largely uh, tried to follow when she was in office, is exactly what I felt needed to be uh, done to have just a whole new attitude about criminal justice uh, and how we prosecute people, and whether we go along with the, the notion that the best way to uh, deal with uh, crime is to just massively arrest people, throw them in jail, Mick, I had that eye-opening experience, which I talk to you about all the time. My one brief moment. Ramonic makes fun of me all the time about this because Ramon Hussein, dear friend of my show, Mick's wife, covered uh, the criminal courthouse for many years for the Sun Times. I did one stint there for like two weeks. Mick and I covered a trial. I was every day I was sick. I'd go to that courthouse. I was like just being there, just the oppressiveness of it, the the hostility of the guards, the going through the the, um, the metal detectors, just the way the judges treated people, the way the bailiffs treated people—it's just everything about it was just like hard and just menacing and just so unnecessarily. Like the, the case that we followed, it was just so unnecessary that we even wasted. It was a, a marijuana case. It was just such a so a waste of money and time that it was even being come before the judge. The judge would treat it like it was the most serious offense in the world, totally ex- distorting the the insignificance of this petty crime. I was like, please keep me away from this apparatus. She tried to change that. And for what did she get for that? Slammed and hammered and turned into a caricature of herself. And then you're right. This is where I really agree with you. Total unforced error with Justice Smollett gate, where she was trying to win over some celebrity. We don't even know what was motivating, who called her. I'm not quite sure which celebrity called her. It was, Like they used that as a weapon for years, but even that, Mick, I'm like, I think about all the abuses of Cook County State's Attorney. In I'll just keep it in your lifetime, which is a lot shorter than my lifetime. And well, you okay? I have to extend it two years. You start with Fred Hampton. You start with Fred Hampton murdered in his bed, and you start. You go then. You go John Burge and his cohorts torturing confessions out of prisoners and the state's attorney daily at the time I don't know is that going on I don't see it I don't see any evidence I just like Mick I feel it's just this city doesn't want to learn anything and so they turn her into this punching bag and they slug away at her and for daring to be different and so that's 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 kind of how I view it. I mean, I don't follow on a day-to-day basis like Andy Grimm or somebody from the, you know, uh, who has that beat who could probably fill up our heads with all kinds of examples of how she did this wrong or that wrong. But that's in general uh, how I feel uh, about it, Mick. And I'm just wondering this. In the coming election, do you think there will be anybody who will run to continue uh, her legacy or vision, or do you think everybody be running as the anti-Kim Fox?
0: I think there will be someone to continue her vision uh, of seeking a different, more full kind of justice and, and, you know, righting some of these historic wrongs. But I think that they will learn from this. Uh, and first of all, um, Try to be better at explaining what they're doing. I think that is very important, and uh, I just think they'll have a different style of doing it, even if they believe the same thing she does. I think that they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to count it, couch it, and, and package it differently to people, Ben. Um, but I don't fundamentally think that people are want to start seeing, you know, the war on drugs renewed again. I, I think some of this we're not going to go back on, I think the next person who comes in, is going to have to talk a lot more about, uh, you know, putting shooters and uh, people who've murdered other people away, they're going to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, They're maybe they're going to talk about it instead of that way, they're going to talk about again, you know, helping the victims of violent crime. I expect someone to come in and talk a lot about violent crime but i don't think they're going to go back to an era where um you know it's just all like drug arrest low-level stuff fill the jails i just don't think that the public supports that anymore and you know the leading cause of arrest at the time that uh, kim fox started was marijuana possession that's legal <laughs> okay so uh, you know, obviously certain rules, but so things have changed. Uh, the next person will be different from Kim Fox. Hopefully we'll have public support to seek justice in a meaningful way. Um, but also hopefully we'll be able to, you know, connect with, with a broader range of people. I do think that's important.
2: All right, uh, let's close with Chippy Butler Talk, which is what really we wanted to talk about this whole time. Uh, how professional are we? Make them get out of
0: <laughs> hey, man, we ate our vegetables. We talked about public policy and politics. No, the truth is we love that stuff. When we're talking on our own phone calls and text messages, we are we are total nerds and geeks about the city council as much as we are about the NBA playoffs. So... Uh, yeah. This is the real deal, everybody out there, but yeah, we do it's... love, we do love sports and and love to talk about that too. So, so, all right. So my beloved bulls uh, are through uh, so we can't talk about them for the moment, uh, but, but, but you and I are, let's note for people who can't see us. You and I are both representing at this very moment. We <laughs> haven't given it up yet. Ben's got his bulls hat on as usual. And I am uh, wearing my, my bull sweatshirt today. So uh, even though yeah. the bulls season has is over by a couple weeks now, we're still we're still hanging on, man. Gone so, but not forgotten. Uh and uh, breaking news in the Ben
2: Jarovsky show, uh, or at least in Ben Jarovsky life. Mick Dunkey has joined the Ben's Bulls
0: season ticket package. Uh welcome to the club, Mick. Um uh, thank uh, you. I'm looking forward to that already. Just yeah. finished a disappointing season. I'm ready for another one. Okay, so
2: here's here's my reflection. This is what I was Giannis, uh Gave uh, a farewell dissertation. I don't know if you saw it. I've been sending it to so many people. I don't. I don't know if you're on Instagram. But I send people these little clips on Instagram. I've already sent it to Dan Mialopoulos, who's a huge Giannis fan, uh, and uh, Brian Woods, another huge Giannis fan. Where he, he was uh, was right after last night's heartbreaking loss for the Milwaukee Bucks to Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat uh, in overtime by uh, one point. Was it? I think it was one point. And uh, a a reporter asked Giannis if the season was a failure. And he just went on this great riff about how unfair or uh, inaccurate it is to use the word failure in this context. And he was speaking from his heart. And uh, Mick, I know that goes against the grain of how uh, the, the conventional wisdom for sports, it's either you're a winner or you're a loser. There's the winners and then there's everybody else. The older I get. The more I just enjoy the games for the sake of the games. And this is like people make fun of me for having bull season tickets. Why do you go to those losers? Well, I mean, there's so many great moments, yeah, in a season, the Bulls were forty and forty two. There were at least twenty great moments in this season that were so freaking entertaining and unbelievable and fun i'm thinking like the memphis comeback right there like down 20 points the bulls came back i'm getting all fired up just thinking about it uh and then conversely there's times where the bulls blew the leads you're like what are you doing (laughs)
0: oh god i think of that i I remember remember. more of (laughs) those unfortunately but uh yeah i hear you No, i'm with you i mean I i love the game itself i love uh you know i love I mean, we're talking basketball. I like pretty much every level of basketball, you know, in addition to, um, following the bulls, I love college ball, men's and women's. I get fanatical about the tournaments every year. Um, and you know, it's very rare that I actually have a team in the hunt almost never. Right. Uh, so yeah, you just love the sport you love the game and, yeah, it's crazy. I thought Giannis' comments were great. He he talked about Michael Jordan even, right? He said, played for 15 years, won six titles, or the other nine years of failure. Is that what you're saying? Um, and, uh, you know, team won, they won 58 games in the regular season, the Bucks this year. They were a great team. You and I saw them in person on a very memorable evening. Uh, they actually blew that game too, I might <laughs> yeah, add. Yeah. Um but that was a classic example. We went up and saw the the Bucks play the Sixers. You and I did not have, uh, you know, we weren't cheering really, particularly for either team. Uh, we just saw one great performance after another with, with our friends, and it was a blast. So that's really what it's about. Of course, if I was a diehard Bucks fan, I would feel a little sick to my stomach today. Probably it was. Uh, you know, it's tough to watch. Even just as if as a casual fan of the game, it's tough to watch a team fold down the stretch. Um, but the reason we started talking about this is because of uh, Jimmy Buckets, right? Jimmy Butler is just really playing his mind out right now, and he uh, essentially stole the game away from the Bulls in the one and done, uh, you know, play-in tournament, uh, whenever that was, two weeks ago. And then, at least the last two games against the Bucks, he almost single-handedly led the comebacks and uh, scored most of the big buckets down the stretch, including last night. An unbelievable shot he made while he was falling down to send the game into overtime. Um, great pass on that play, by the way, too, Ben. But unbelievable uh, pass. Yeah,
2: yeah, unbelievable so, pass. It's just uh, fun.
0: It's just fun to follow it, and, and it's easy. It's easy, even though you know, I know. You are uh, still have these bittersweet memories of Jimmy when he was on the Bulls. Of course, uh, as, as many do around here, it's just fun to watch him play at this level right now. It's just unbelievable. I, well, really I uh, the
2: the bittersweet memories I have uh, are about the ends of two of the most disappointing seasons. You think this season was disappointing? The 2015 Bulls season playoff run was arguably the most disappointing. <laughs> collapse uh i've ever experienced as a bulls fan and i go back a long time as bulls fan 2017 Rajon rondo broke it they won the first two games against boston Rajon rondo broke his hand he couldn't play uh the after that and they got swept and Jimmy that was jimmy butler's last year in a team and i've long maintained uh that there's a curse of jordan that Uh, Mick's heard me on this subject many times. I've written about it for the reader many times. There's a curse of Michael Jordan, just the legacy that just surrounds the Bulls because of Jordan, the way they got rid of him uh, and the pressure Bulls players feel uh, to just sort of live up to that legacy, which is impossible. I don't think Jimmy Butler's career began until really he left the Bulls and he was free of that. And I've watched Jimmy Butler since then, and he's playing with a freedom that I never saw him exhibit on the Bulls, uh, a fearlessness of just a we, I Stacey Davis Gates was on the show Tuesday, Mick, uh, and she was talking about how you can't be afraid of politics to like run long shot campaigns. She was explaining to, she was, uh, about why they decided to go in all for uh, Brandon. And I just thought of Jimmy Butler. You can't be afraid. At the end of the day, you got to take the shot. You're gonna miss it. You're gonna maybe you'll hit. Maybe you'll miss. But you can't be afraid. The Bucks were afraid to take the last shot, Mick. They Giannis didn't even get a last shot. Didn't even yeah. Get it. <laughs> you yeah, know exactly. Like four players passed up, including their three best: Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. All passed up the last shot. They didn't. They were afraid to take it. And then it was left to the worthless bomb, Grayson Allen, and Milwaukee. Get rid of him, all right? Uh, so Jimmy's not afraid, Mick. I mean, that's what's so much fun. And I feel I don't feel so bad about my beloved Bulls because they lost to the Heat the same way
0: the Bucks did. The Bucks that's were right. the number ranked team. The except, Bulls, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, right. except the Bucks did it four times, and right. uh, the Bulls only had to do it once. So yeah.
2: Uh, so, I am officially on the Jimmy uh, Butler bandwagon, uh, released for the next round. Because I, Mick, after we saw that game in uh, Milwaukee, I just fall in love with Joel Embiid. There's just something about the guy. We saw he, he plays for the Sixers, and I just love him, and I love Doc Rivers. So, if it comes down to the uh, Jimmy uh, Butler and the Heat against Joel Embiid and the Sixers, I'm just rooting for a seven-game series, okay? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh,
0: you. And I I similar, my parallel uh, love for James Harden uh, because of that game. I've never been a huge James Harden fan. I've always saw him as a very talented player who takes way too many bad shots. But uh, (laughs) the game we saw, he very quietly just hung around, hung around, and then just had this sizzling streak to get them back in the game and also as i get older i really like the players who are slowing down um i love seeing uh you know this this new era of james harden who is in as quick as he used to be but plays smarter i think than he used to um you know even get a kick out of like kevin love had a double double last night these guys who are not uh, you know, even like Chris, Chris Paul and his little belly that you can see through his Jersey sometimes like these guys who still have so much talent, but they're not in their best years. So they use their smarts to try to win games now. And I just, I love that. I love that in uh, basketball, baseball, you don't see it in football. Cause when guys get to be 27, they're, they're pretty much out of the game already. Most of them, but you know, I, I really appreciate that as I get older, it's the guys who figured out how to hang on and contribute.
2: Well, to that point, the next series in the West that I anticipate will be one for the ages, Golden State Warriors versus Los Angeles Lakers. You got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, who totally fit the the category uh, that you just laid out, versus yeah. Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who, <laughs> I mean, LeBron is that category. Uh That'll be another one where you absolutely, if you're any, even remotely a basketball fan, it will be must watch. Uh, It'll take your mind off of Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, Trump's rape trial, whatever position you've taken, where the city is going, Anthony Beal, you know, you could watch it and not be so scared about (laughs) Brandon Johnson. Uh, And, um, and, and David Moore, you could, you could, (laughs) <laughs> Maybe forgive some of your constituents for their childish rebellion. <laughs> Eat your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Come on, Dave, it's gonna take a while to live down that quote. Um, but anyway, uh, it's just gonna be a delight. your uh, do you have any predictions make before we uh, let you go? Any predictions as two will emerge uh, in, in the championship round in, uh, from the west and the east?
0: no i really don't i mean i i know you can't stand boston i still feel like they have a really good team um i know you're you ben is giving me the thumbs down i'm not saying i'm cheering for them i just feel like they have they have a team uh, that's capable of of getting to the finals i you know the heat is looking so good it's hard to bet against them it's just when you pull you know they had to win the play in tournament they had to uh you know topple the number one seed you know do they still have juice going forward are they gonna are they gonna expend so much emotional energy getting to each successive stage or are they now in a run I don't know um so I'm not sure and the west feels wide open to me it it really does right so on a given night you think Denver's got it together and then uh you see booker and the Suns all of a sudden are playing well again and it's like and then you talked about the the veterans i mean it's hard to bet against the warriors in down the stretch they just keep doing it so uh, i think it's just it's just really fun this year it feels like it's so wide open
2: yeah and and really i i make no predictions i'm not a better i have a lot of friends who are uh, serious gamblers uh but because of the injuries really the it's like, who's not, which team is not going to get injured on that. I mean, the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, I thought they were going to beat the Phoenix Suns. And then Kawhi went down on top of Paul George being down. And it's, I mean, there's no way they could win. That is the answer to that question. And I'm hoping that nobody gets injured. Mick. I hate when players get hurt, uh, even on teams that I'm rooting against because it just takes away from the enjoyment of, the game and also i just know how much pain and disappointment they must be feeling so on a human level i feel for them so i'm hoping for a healthy run and uh, a long run uh and whenever it ends i'll miss it immediately okay <laughs> that's how it <laughs> that's goes exactly. yeah uh, that's how it goes with being basketball Mick mcdumpke always but you know what i just said Mick mcdumpke i didn't even introduce him
0: i know it's like i'm a man who needs no introduction now but
1: yes (laughs)
0: ladies and gentlemen i'm mick dumkey it's been nice talking with you you know it's so
2: funny Well, literally everybody who listens to my podcast knows who mick dumkey is because you're mentioned on every ramana hussein episode she comes on twice a month she throws you under the bus every time (laughs) for some reason or another it's always fun to listen to uh but then i'm always referring to you and, and quoting you i do try to uh acknowledge the quotes i steal from people uh and i constantly remind people of the advice you gave me after the Lori lightfoot hideout appearance where i was like oh my god (laughs) she told me everything i wanted to hear And, and you go ben you can't You can't believe anything, everything a politician says.
0: Uh, So naive. Uh, I know. I know. That's just how it works. That's what we do for a living is is checking it out, not believing and checking it out.
2: Checking it out. Yes. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, He's from Block Club, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Let's put that
0: out there so I can justify my uh, hour of work time. Block Club Chicago, everybody, please read it. And thank you for listening to this segment. Ben, thanks for having me on. It's always a blast.
2: It is a blast. That's great. McDunkie. also want to thank producer Chris. He did an outstanding job. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
1: And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews and so much more at chicagoreader.com and find the Ben Jarofsky show on Instagram at Benny J show and online on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.